Welcome back to the Product Stories Podcast, hosted by Victor Peralnik. This podcast helps founders like yourself to find leaner ways to build successful SaaS products. Welcome back, everyone. Today's guest is Idan Yalovich, co-founder of Zest.is. I met him and his co-founder, Yam, four years ago on the rooftop of uh, WeWork Hazarem in, in Tel Aviv when Zest was uh, in its early stages. And fast forward to today, just a few years later, um, he sold the business and has many, many learnings to share and the strategies he used for funding, pivoting, engineering, marketing, and getting acquired. So this is going to be really interesting. Idan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Victor. Glad to be here. Let's give everybody a quick little background and introduction. Who are you? And uh, most importantly, what is what is Zest? Zest is a tool that uh, enables search engine across uh, cloud services. So from the work, knowledge worker perspective, you can, with Zest, search just in one place and get any information that you need to do your job faster. So instead of going to Confluence, let's say, uh, SharePoint and OneDrive, you just need to hit Zest. Zest idea was started with the, the idea of empowering the users to use keyboards, to use shortcuts, so you can get any information you want quickly in your actually without any any context switch and i founded zest with uh, yam as you introduced a few years ago yam was the marketing part and i was the the tech part my background mainly is um, programming and development and front end design all these kind of tools zest actually is my second company i started the first company which was a software development studio at the age of uh, 24, and then since then we grew. I met a lot of people, learned how to run a business, and here I am, almost uh, eight years after. Two companies, one exit. This stick is fine as for now. Absolutely. I just got to keep going like that, and uh, it's going to be very fun. But that's very, very cool. How did you, did you start as a developer with like a developer background? How did you get into product more of like more of the design, more of the strategic planning, user research kind of sphere out of just programming? Actually, it started before I even built the first website. I felt that um, I need to, to better understand how the internet works. So uh, if I want to understand how the internet works, I need to go and learn how it works, what are the components, and what's in it for the people that uses the, the website. And this is how I started. I learned HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and um, I gained them as tools to achieve a bigger goal of uh, build a product that people will use. Everything was from the prism of building products. Actually, it started with, uh, with front-end tech stuck html css javascript and then uh, the components and all the, the fronted kind of uh, technologies and fast it moved to the backend technologies because when you build a website and you want to store and you want to save and you want to integrate with third parties whatever you need to have a backend a strong backend and from that point i started to develop and learn how to create from the programmer and the engineer perspective how to create a useful products. Actually, I think one of the one of my mentors told me once a good developer is a lazy one. 
you don't want to do things wise. And I think I strongly adopted and I took it to the product world. And I realized that if you do something again and again and again, so this is a reflection of a, of a pain, of a problem that maybe you can fix with technology. So actually, this is why I learned the technologies. That makes a lot of sense. That's a very good insight. Now, let's speak about pivoting, because I know you guys have pivoted once with Zest. How did you start? I know it's it has been and it is still about the cross-platform search, but who was it targeted at initially? What did it look like? And uh, when did you realize that you need to do something else? If we want to talk about uh, the pivot, so we need to, to describe a bit the, the, the Zest background. Zest started with, um, we were three co-founders. We didn't call it co-founders. We call it friends. And we actually went to a shelter and, uh, and a build a thing, something that we thought, as I said earlier, that will help people to get information in much easier way. So we built a new tab extension that actually brings in information. So each time actually you open the new tab, you get a fresh content that's relevant to your profession. We did it and then we sent it to friends and then the friend said, uh, oh, this is, sorry, you waste your time. We need to do it, uh, do something else with your life. And we iterate a few times and then we realized that actually people found value in the, the fact that they get information and articles. It was content, mainly public content from publishers. Before the days of uh, Medium, the information was scattered everywhere. And what we did actually is we uh, distilled the information, like filtered the, the, the click bytes and the um, SEO aggressively articles and, and put the, what we found as value or just worthy content and put it in a one place. Then we added a layer, then we enabled people to, to submit content, and then it grew so fast that it um, one day, Buffer and Product Hunt, I think, made an article that named Zest as one of the promising tools for 2017 or 18, I don't remember. And from that point, you know, when you get that exposure, so the spike or the grow of user go up so fast and everyone mainly not not everyone but a lot of people in the u.s um, knew us and they started to use it and as i said at the beginning we were just three friends that did something and from that point we actually realized that we have something and maybe we can turn it into a company so we decided to raise money establish incorporate a company raise money build a business model and then try to grow the company. But the whole idea was, I think, the seed of the idea wasn't integrated with business model. And we, with company pillars that you need if you want to build a company. So it was a cool idea, a cool tool, but any business model iteration that we, we tried to do faced the reality that said no. So actually at some point, after a few iterations, we realized that Maybe we need to leave that idea and we need to think on a different aspect of the product. I flew to the US and tried to, to learn more about how the information goes there. And at some point, I realized that the main, the huge pain that people and knowledge workers mainly, any people that work with inf changing information actually, is suffer 
as um, the internal information, like his work-related information and data and not professional content that grew his talent or grew him. So at that point, I thought that, okay, we have something, we have technology that know how to distill content and how to classify the content cluster and send it to, to the right audience. So maybe we can take it and implement it within companies. At that point, it was the beginning of uh, 2020, and we we started a pilot uh, with a few uh, beautiful companies in the U.S. and Israel. And I realized that this is it. People suffer from the fact that the information is everywhere. And when they need a document, they go to Google Drive and then to Confluence, and then they search it on Slack. And sometimes they don't even aware that someone else from the company did something similar or have some insights in somewhere. So I realized that, okay, this is what we need to do. And it took some time to convince everyone. But at that point, it's okay, it was it. And then we decided to pivot. The pivot is not an easy and not an easy move, especially when you have strong brand and awareness and people recognize you as marketing tool that help like like a publisher like a magazine and now you need to pivot and you need to put the technology first and you need to say listen i'm doing something else the phase of uh, the marketing magazine was beautiful but now we are doing something else and this was a hard point of branding and maybe rebranding or marketing the company again yeah because it, it seems it's like a very different target audience at least it seems initially uh, did you think about just uh, rebranding it because it did keep the name the domain the I'm not sure if the logo I don't I don't I don't remember but uh, it essentially like if you went to zesta.is uh, probably one day and then a week later it would be like a different company almost is that correct correct it was a hard pivot just one day <laughs> nice well congratulations it turned out very well I think it, it really needs the courage and, and honesty to tell yourself that and then go to a different direction. When you flew to the U.S., how did that look like? Did you meet up with startups or with companies, enterprise, try to speak to the target audience uh, or more like understand even how people work, how people use content? Actually, I, at first I, I flew there with my entrepreneur hat. And I flew there to try and meet people and meet uh, tech-savvy people and uh, workers in uh, enterprises and companies. I think I was alone. I didn't know anyone. And I just started with someone sent an email. And I saw that you are in New York. Let's uh, grab a coffee. Da, 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 da. And then it started. And then I met a few people. I have a, one good story, but uh, we can talk about it uh, later if you want. How I started my networking in, in, in New York, it was in a river in Israel when I had a coffee with a random dude and he told me, yeah, I'm flying to New York. Yeah. And what are you doing? I'm doing, um, I'm helping Israeli startups to land in New York. Oh, this is beautiful. I'm flying to New York as well on Wednesday. Oh, we have the same flight. Oh, let's fly together. This is how I started. And actually, yeah, I met companies. Like anyone who agreed to meet me, let's be honest. And the story wasn't so clear. So uh, some of the people 
didn't understand what I want from them. Some of them thought that I want to raise money from them and others point me to the right direction. Some of them had beautiful insights. But uh, I think the, the way of the people think there was the thing that convinced me to feel, to, to see them, to listen to them. And when you ask someone about information, this is the, the country that suffered the most of content overload, information overload. So when you see and when you just sit with someone and you see his iPhone and what they do and how they work and how many apps the people use, I realized that this is the field that I need to play in, I guess. That's super, super insightful because everybody keeps saying about uh, do things that, that don't scale and that usually means for people, okay, I'm actually going to respond to an email or, or, or pick up a phone call because I thought really it would just be a chatbot and that would be enough. But okay, we do things that don't scale, so I'll, I'll, I'll hop on that call with a, with a user. But no, it actually goes way, way, way beyond. Um, and it is a recurring pattern actually across the show, I believe. Doing things that don't scale is part of the research. Yes, of course, you're not meeting with every client. You're not doing that as a sales strategy, but you're definitely doing that to get to know your audience and uh, to build these initial connections, right? That can be very powerful over time. So this is this is very, very insightful. I think when you do a, a user research or a market research, you need to find the, the people that have enough experience to explain what is going on in their teams, for example. Or it's pods of people everywhere. So if you can find someone that have the point of view that will help you understand like a group of people, group of users that you want to research, instead of asking each user, then I think you have an, an, like, an ability to do a few interviews. And I didn't call it interviews. I call it just a meeting to listen, to, to talk, uh, because interview may be too serious for uh, that point. It was for me. This is exactly right. Being more informal reveals more of the truth behind something. I, I would agree. Let's move on to engineering because uh, you are, after all, the uh, CTO, head engineer of Zest and also product person. So you are, were you the main developer of, of the early product and did moving forward? Yeah, yeah. The entire time of the company, I was the tech lead of the, the company. I think it's a powerful skill as product because you, you understand what are the boundaries of your imagination and you understand that you, there are no boundaries. So you can think of something on something and then to do it, to create it. So I think an engineering skill in some level, it's important to any uh, product human. That's true, because you are getting this uh, instant feedback loop of what's possible, what's easier, what's better, what's uh, quicker to implement, or what's just uh, what's going to take a very long time versus... Uh, well, the low-hanging fruit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, I understand the, the problem, and now what's the, what's the quickest way we can actually do this? With another technical person, this always takes a few cycles of, of calibration, of, of getting people on the same level, right, uh, of understanding and bouncing back and forth, whereas you can do that instantly. That is, 
I don't want to say the only, but the biggest benefit of a technical founder, not even being able to save money or do things on your own, but, but really this instant feedback loop on an iteration in your head. I think that's, uh, you're, you're saying that right. But uh, you, you were not the only developer the entire time. Uh, when, when did you decide you, you need help, you need, you need more people? It took me a while, but at some point I realized that I need uh, some help because more and more managing related tasks assigned to me. So I needed more help with the, the engineering and the development. And this is where, um, actually, I, I think I hired the first uh, engineer a few months before I met you. And I think you were the one that actually opened the option to hire more engineers and came up with the idea that I can do it remote. Because it was, uh, I think, four years ago, or, uh, and the remote work wasn't developed as today. So you introduced me to, to, to my team that actually came with me the entire uh, time, even until today. Even they now part of uh, the buyer, the company that acquired uh, WalkMe. That's a long time. That's excellent. Well, very happy to hear that. What's the setup over the years? Who, who was part of your team? Or is it? How big, uh, what, what kind of a setup was it? How many engineers? Uh, how did you end up working over the time? The engineering team was uh, overall, I think, five people, including me. Mainly what, uh, what, I, what I like to do is, is to find uh, the most accurate person to, that understands me and can do his job like achieving it like okay we set up a goal it's clear let's do a research do whatever you need to to achieve that goal and when you find people like that and i think the team uh, with your help and uh, and rulik's help i think we found the 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 people that can help us uh, to build a small team that deliver we build for example we build from scratch an app mobile app based on react native for the both of the of the platform android and ios in three months the the functionality there was full and the same of what we had on the, the web so it was super fast from the day we started to the day we we launched it it took us three months and we team of three people so if you find the, the right the right person to work with i think it can move fast and i trust them to learn more more and more content one thing that i'm super curious about is uh, how did you manage your remote team like you said for yourself it was also the first time remotely I, any any lessons learned here i see you're you're less of the guy who would document everything and then just assign tiny tasks to everybody but more like give bigger meaningful chunks out to a responsible person how how did your framework look like here what would you tell others who work remotely or start working remotely i'm not sure what to tell uh, other people that start remote uh, work remotely but i think that my method was uh, tracks like i have one track for myself that i understand what i need to do and what are the tasks 
And what I need to do actually with new hires is to bring them on to my track so we can move forward. And I'm doing the first few steps and they follow me and understand what I'm doing because they, where we're heading to because we are on the same track. And what I do usually at the beginning is first I'm starting with create tasks. The goal of the task is very, very clear. What we need to achieve at the end and how will it look like? This is very clear because these are the foundations. And then from that point at the beginning, I'm break it to subtasks for the engineer. So the, the new hire can understand the way of work. How do I work and how do I create like um, a task that can lead me to achieve what I want? So I'm doing it for the first few times. And from that point, I can just tell them the title of the task because they know and they are aware of the bigger picture and they can move on and create it to themselves or to other employees that um, they now manage. Maybe have another analogy is to, I'm trying to put the food in small bowls. So at the beginning, the, the people don't see and don't need to see the entire picture. They see some something vague, but they don't need to see how everyone works and what everyone now are doing. They just have their own bowl. And by the time the bowl is, is growing and now they can manage and handle a table because at the beginning, they can't handle a table of food. The food is analogy to, to code and, uh, and components. They can't handle a, a, a table of full of food if especially they work in a different time zone. So they need to, to have a focus. They need to understand where they start and where they end. And by the time, it go and go and go. And actually today, I can say to one of my team members that I just need to have a storage service. And he will get it right away what needs to be done. And even after a few hours, he will come up with an idea. Uh, listen, we can have it in a... We can add a batch uh, mode to the requests and like even to grow the product and actually from an engineer to think as a product, very technical oriented uh, uh, product, but think as a product and not just an engineer that coding. And I think this is the method of the track and the, the bows. I love it because it, it is about context, right? Yeah. It's about getting the context across slowly, not to overwhelm initially, but once you've built up this mutual context with everybody, that's when they start understanding on their own. And one thing that I always keep telling our clients is uh, if you start working with a remote team or anything like that, after you should definitely visit to build that context. It, it, it works so much better if you visit in person, like even once. Did you do that? Did you see any benefits of that? Definitely, yeah. Awesome. Very good. Now... One of the last things we wanted to speak about is actually marketing. That's the amazing thing. You you are really an all-rounder uh, when it comes to, to product in, in product businesses. And um, we wanted to chat about a very interesting marketing strategy that you have also implemented. And um, the low-hanging fruit, people always say, is a B2B SaaS selling directly to big companies. can even do your sales-led approach and get people in. But what a lot of other companies are doing is something slightly different, including Slack. Give us a quick overview of how you see that works. From my perspective, marketing wasn't just 
how to market the company, but what is the go-to-market strategy? And I think the go-to-market strategy is a bit different than just the marketing. The marketing is a, is a subject within the strategy because aside the marketing, you have sales, you have product-led growth, you have a um, few things that actually, if you put them together, you have your uh, go-to-market uh, strategy. With the marketing field, I had uh, the best partner in the world, I think, uh, Yam. He taught me so many things about uh, marketing. I And I think from my personal uh, experience, I became a marketeer after working with Yam. And I think, again, with the tools, the skill set of the tech tools that I had, plus the marketing um, hat that I started to wear, I knew how to, to market the company in an efficient way. So when I had trouble to find people, I built a few scripts that can help me do things automatically and to market the company faster. The way we, we decided on, on the go-to-market, at the beginning, we didn't have a go-to-market strategy. I think after we pivoted and after I came back from the US and I realized that, okay, we need to set a clear go-to-market strategy, I started to think about it and to implement it. And I think the most powerful tool, or before that, any B2B tool actually ends with a B2C company. And when you think about it, any, any, any B2B business sell to another business, sell to another business, but the end of this chain, you will face a customer, an end user, and one company that sells to so many people. We can take it to the tech world. So we have Amazon, let's say, and we have uh, Facebook or Google or the, the giants, like in, even Apple, and they sell to customers and they lead an industry of B2B businesses that sells to each other to sell by but the end of the chain to the b2c co uh, company this is my uh, my belief my idea another huge thing that i saw is uh, companies such as slack miro or uh, whatever companies that go from the bottom they have a sticky product they have a clear pain point solution and what they offer, they offer the end user an experience that is um, unreplaceable once you start using it. And from that point, if the end users start to use it, actually they split the user persona and the buyer persona. The user persona is the end user, the employee of the company, and the buyer persona is someone from the company that needs to sign the check. So they target and they, they build the product for the end user. The end users start to use it, the employees starting to use it. And then at some point, it's too wide within the company that the sales person can go to the company and to the buyer persona and now do the script, tell the script and actually sell the product because, hey, your company is already using it. So uh, now you need an SSO. Okay, uh, you need an enterprise license. This is the method of uh, maybe bottom up. And I thought that, when you go to an enterprises and you have a cross-platform search engine, cross-services search engine, so you have the data is um, under security uh, restrictions. So the CISO decide if you can open, let's say, Confluence 
to a search engine or if you can install an app on Google that gets any scopes of the Google Drive. So actually you need to sell it to the buyer persona that's the CIO, the people there. But the experience that you want to, to have is for the end users. And this is why I adopt and I wanted to build a, a product that differentiate the, the other insights engines or search engines. It depends how deep your technology go. And I wanted to have a product that the user experience is unique in this field. And it takes practices from uh, B2C products that you can find, implement them in a search engine or insight engine tool, and then try to go from the bottom, try to sell it to, to individuals and talk to the individuals. And all my marketing plan was to individuals when the sales and the business development was pointing to the, my buyer persona. And the buyer persona, they were people from uh, the CTO office or the CIO office or um, sometimes even HR. This is, was our strategy, and it worked pretty well because then it at some point put us in a field of giants, and our product was, uh, was beautiful, was uh, very smooth, very sleek, and you can started working with it. Actually, young people and young workers started preferred our product than other products that are so old, and the user experience is so belong to the past. Oh, yeah, 100%. So and, and, and when you built rapport with them and when they loved you, well, the team lead had no other choice than sign you on. I think that's a great strategy. It's, a, it's, it's wonderful. Now, we mentioned, of course, that you, you got acquired recently. Did you get funded in the beginning as well? Yeah, we raised a few, few hundreds of thousands of dollars on 2018. So that's that's after you already had a prototype, you already had uh, some users, you already had uh, something. So this was not totally pre-seed where we, we only have an idea. So uh, it's more about actually having something already and then, then accelerating a bit. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, something like that. We had something, but we, we didn't have a company. We didn't have an, a business. So we had something. Got it. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Um, do you think that founders uh, underestimate the stress uh, and work of both funding and getting acquired in the end before they do it? What do you mean by underestimating? If you listen to well, podcasts or read blog articles or if you've had no firsthand experience with that, it might seem like uh, it's a walk in, in the park and it, it just naturally happens. Is, is that how you experienced it? No, it wasn't a walk in the park. Uh, it wasn't. It was hard, very, very hard. I think to position the company in a way that now you sell a different product, the pivot was a super hard thing to do because it's not just that you change the the brand, you change the the messaging, and that's it. You are you are ready to go. You need to like. When you have uh, a board of directors and they need to believe you again, they need to believe that you can take the company again. Okay, you did something, it wasn't su successful, and now you want to, have, to go to another venture. Why? 
look at the bank account, look and look at the burn rate and explain why are you going to do it. And sometimes as a founder, I didn't have a clear idea why I want to go that road, but I had the gut feeling of um, this is the right path and this is where we need to go. So I think it's hard. Not just to build the product, to build the product, okay, it's one thing, then to sell the product, it's another thing, then to market the product, it's another thing. But having that wind behind you that pushes you and to get it, this is was, uh, I think, the hardest part because you are so alone when you decide. And if you will success with your decision, people will, will say that, okay, we did it, we did it. But if you want success and it will go down, people will say, what is people? Your, your team members, your, uh, your board of directors will say, oh, I told you. So I think when you make that kind of decision, you are so alone and this is the hardest uh, part. It's not a walk in the park. <laughs> not at all. Well, that's uh, even, even more congratulations because I, I, I know how hard that must have been for you. And... Um... It's amazing how, how, how well that worked out for you. So uh, props to that. What's next for, for you? So as part of the acquisition, I joined WalkMe. WalkMe is a wonderful company. What we do there is actually, WalkMe saw something that uh, we can say uh, with all the modesty I saw as well. And they decided to, to double down on that uh, uh, solution to add it to their uh, portfolio uh, product portfolio and by acquiring zest they purchased the technology actually and they put me to lead this effort of uh, building that product within WalkMe. so this is what i'm doing now and i won't leave it until i will achieve it because it's part of my entrepreneurship journey i feel that this is what i started maybe we can say that this is the a real rebranding that we made to, to Zest, because Zest was for the marketing, the new tab, and now actually we branded, we rebranded the product, we rebranded the solution under a, a beautiful company as WalkMe. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm doing lots of things because you can't sit and lay back. This is not the time for me yet. That's great. So where can people find out more about you, about Zest, about WalkMe, and how can they connect with you? So people can uh, first of go to zest.is. The website is still on. Walkme.com. Go there and see the product. The relevant product that I'm talking on uh, from the Walkme portfolio is the workstation. Walkme workstation. Like redefining the, the employee experience. How uh, uh, employees experience their uh, day-to-day job. As for me, you can just connect me over LinkedIn. I'll be happy to chat with everyone, I think. Wonderful. Thanks, Idan. It was uh, super, super insightful. Thanks for getting on the show and uh, looking forward to speak soon. Thank you for having me, Victor. And, uh, have a wonderful day. This show is brought to you by TrustShoring, your friendly concierge to find reliable and tested software developers from Eastern Europe. We recruit full-time developers, match you to an experienced software house that's ideal for your requirements, or recommend a reliable freelancer for smaller projects. But most importantly, you benefit from our experience of developing software remotely for almost 10 years. 
We give you one-on-one -on -one guidance all the way so you're never lost. Stop the tedious hiring or vetting process and get matched to reliable talent. Sign up for a free consulting call with one of our experts today. Go to TrustShoring.com.